Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 516. Simply, you got to will it to happen. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, all the way from Toronto, Tamir Moscovich. Tamir, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. All right. Great to have you here. Tamir Moscovich is a Toronto-based filmmaker. Since 1995, he's directed documentaries, commercials, music videos, and films. Tamir has traveled around the world shooting many different subject matters, but it's his automotive shoots that bring him to Cars Yeah! today. Urban Outlaw is a portrait of a past Cars Yeah! guest, Magnus Walker, and his passion for Porsche. Tamir's film about the man behind Gran Turismo, Kazunori Yamauchi, uncovers the genius behind the game. And his film, Painting Coconuts, documents slot car track creator and past Cars Yeah! guest, David Beatty. And of course, Ayrton's Wish is about the late, great Formula One champion, one of my favorite racers. So Tamir, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you and what you're doing. Would you take a moment to share a little bit more about your career, your business, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Absolutely. Um, I guess in a nutshell, I'm a commercial director. I uh, basically am a director for hire working on TV commercials and campaigns ranging from clients like Ford, Porsche, Hyundai, you know, BMW and the you know, the list goes on and that's a wonderful way to make a living cuz I get to, you know, shoot cars and be around cars and be around performance drivers and all the rest and then the other side of it is a documentarian and I really enjoy telling films, and I've kind of found a, a marriage between documentaries that talk about cars and design, like the films you've mentioned, and also the passion of the people behind them, similar to your program, looking at the passion behind cars, because it's to me, it's more than just the sheet metal. Yeah, it's always about the people. That's what it always comes back to here in Cars, yeah. And I'll tell you, the documentaries that I watched of yours, I really love the way you bring the personality out. It's not just about the car. It's about the person behind it, the way you shoot your stories, the angles, the mood that you create. Really, really fun. Great stuff. Brilliant work. I really love it. And that's why I'm so excited to have you as a guest here today. 
As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. It's a saying that's been instrumental in your life, something that's important to you that has a meaning, and it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Tamir, take the wheel. So, I guess I've kind of got two quotes. One of them is something that just kind of has naturally evolved and sometimes is used to get the client to continue walking the tightrope to get to the other side that they've committed to and not freak out in the last step. And the other one is kind of a mantra that I say to myself when things, you know, when the barn's on fire and you're trying to make it all come together (laughs) and you can't control the sun going down, the rain coming in and all the rest, which is simply you got to will it to happen. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times on these dock projects, you know, you mentioned Urban Outlaw, that was a bit of a Hail Mary. Like I, you know, and I can go into more detail about that, but essentially I picked up the phone, I called Magnus, I didn't know him. And I just knew in my mind's eye that there was a story to be told there. And by willing it to happen, he said, yes, I flew down to LA, we made the film and, you know, everything that follows is history. But it's that notion of, well, it won't happen if you don't will it and, you've got to kind of just push forward. And the other quote would be directly from David Beatty. When we were shooting Painting Coconuts, he said something about, and it's in the film, he said something that his clients come to him and they ask him for what they want and he gives them what they need. And I found that to be a really interesting quote because a lot of us, especially in the applied arts, we're hired for a vision. A client comes to us, whether it's an agency or the actual client, and says, I want this. And you go but your competitor is doing it. So what you really need is a slight variation off it. Otherwise, you're lost in the white noise. And so this notion of tell me what you want, I'll give you what you need, has kind of been paired into, you know, you got to will it. And then, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's the, those are the two kind of driving pistons in my mind of like how I push myself forward. Driving pistons. I love how you got that in there too. Very nice. <laughs> I can tell you're a creative guy. You know, that saying David Beatty, Beatty gave you uh, really is important. I worked for 11 years as a creative director in an advertising agency, and you're right. So many times you'd go into a client, and they had in their vision what they wanted, but it isn't what they needed. And trying to convince them to shift a bit so that you can provide them with what they need is a delicate balancing act sometimes, most definitely, especially when you're dealing with a committee. Oh, my gosh. Makes it yeah. even harder. Yeah. It is definitely a challenge. But, you know, the same thing applies. I mean, no different than what you're doing or, you know, when you're doing an interview in a documentary. A lot of the time, the people, the subject matter, they don't understand how it's going to cut together, how it's going to work, how you may not actually use the interview component, but you might use the voice or you might you know, overlay some other elements to create drama or an impact. And sometimes you have to push them out of their comfort zone and tell them, look, this is what you're going to need. And it's not necessarily what you want, but you, <laughs> we've got it. We've got to get through it together. And so it is a dance and, uh, you know, it's fun, but yeah. it's, it's, you know, I, I'm lucky that I get to do this for a living. Like I try not to tell people that I do it for free because, well, my wife wouldn't be happy about that. But, no, no. And your dinner table would be a little barren as well. So, you know, it's important as entrepreneurs that, that you are rewarded with pay. I think people who work for free are spectacular, but they really do themselves an injustice, that you need to have some compensation for this. 
because it's huge amount of work, a huge amount of effort. And for the creative people in the world, I'm being one, it is a drain to your psyche because you pour everything into it. It's not just a plain old job. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, <clears throat> you know, there's also the, the, you know, what is the value of the work? And, you know, the value of the work, you, you worked in advertising, so you understand this clearly, and maybe those listening don't get it. But the value of the work isn't just the deliverable product, but it's the accumulation of experience and knowledge you have going in. And I mean, in the world of the car culture that we talk about, I mean, there's that great, uh, let's call it an urban myth, for lack of better words, because I don't have names and details, but there was that there's that story of Henry Ford having the production line and suddenly something's going awry on the production line, gears aren't running properly, the line's slowing down, he's getting frustrated, so he contacts top engineer of the day to come out and walk the line and figure out the problem. He walks the line, stops after walking back and forth, takes a piece of chalk marks on the ground, says, your problem's underneath here, cut out the concrete, the gearing is slipped, fix this, and you'll be fine. So Ford says, okay, great, send me an invoice, whatever the number, you fix the problem, this is wonderful. So the guy sends the invoice, and it's for $100. And at that time, it's an outrageous number. Ford goes, you're insane, I'm not paying for it, I need an itemized invoice. So he writes back another invoice that says, chalk, five cents, where to put the chalk, $99.95. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Right. And, and, and that's kind of what we do, right? Like yes. there's other guys who are really talented and know where to put the camera and how to shoot it, but it's when the barn's on fire, right? Yes. Oh, I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. And speaking of stories, how about a story that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you look back when you really knew that you were a car guy? You know, <clears throat> I don't think there was a pivotal moment that I can say I was, you know, that, that, typical iconic moment of like I was riding down on my BMX bike and there was a car that blew by and that unlocked something rather as I reflect on it you know my dad was an aerospace engineer and he moved from aerospace into automotive sector and you know was involved with the GM plant in Detroit and in Windsor and all the robotics and laying out the plant and then went from that back into aerospace. So as a kid, I always had schematics and drawings and airplanes and cars and models. And that was just something that he brought into our home. Mm -hmm. But there's two moments, and I don't know if those two moments were directly related to the babysitters themselves, who happened to be quite lovely ladies. But <laughs> there was one woman who lived three doors down who had a 73 round tail uh, 2002, and it was, you know, a patina kind of cherry red little BMW and either it was that it matched her hair color or it was you know the personality at the age of eight of this 18 year old babysitter but that car has always been an iconic car in my mind and then on the way to school there was this beat up ratty 914 that looked like nothing else and that little Porsche has always been on the want list for me and again those two cars I remember vividly as being cars that define my taste but it wasn't like an aha moment i just i look back at it and go oh those are anchor points yeah yeah very cool i love it i understand well i would love to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood get our hands a little dirty here and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure as an entrepreneur we and our lives are fraught our businesses are fraught with ups and downs it's a big roller coaster ride but i'd love for you to share a particular story with our listeners and even better yet 
How did you overcome that particular situation? What did it teach you so that you could move forward and carry that lesson forward? Well, you know, I took a kind of a very, like, it's, it's a weird, it's almost like a straight line path in the direction of what I wanted to do as a career. But in that process, there was this meandering, maverick kind of approach to it. And by that, I mean, you know, I went to film school after finishing high school in another city, went to Montreal, did the film school thing there, had a great time, stayed on, joined camera crews, traveled, worked on feature films, and eventually kind of migrated back to Toronto and was working here. And a friend of mine who had kind of returned from his own travels, who was in film school with me, we both kind of said, you know, we're working on a lot of crap films. We could just go out and make our own crap films. And, <laughs> and I say that in the sense that we had no aspirations of, like, you know, being Spielberg or, you know, making Citizen Kane by the time we were 24. We were just like, you know, we're working on some real bad product here. How hard could it be? So, you know, we went out and, you know, raised some money and did the whole, like, set up a company, raised some funds, started shooting some short films. And the soundtrack to the short films were getting a lot more traction than the short films because it was pre-YouTube and Vimeo as kind of standard platform. Okay. So we were, make, we were making these short films and sending them to festivals. And, you know, it would get into a festival, it'd have a screening, and the hope was, you know, you did well at a festival, and next thing you know, you're making another film, and eventually you would move forward. So what ended up happening was we got a lot of positive feedback on the soundtracks and we were fans of music and into the music scene that was going on at the time. And so we convinced our angel investors that we should set up a record company as part of it. And oh, wow. next thing you knew, we were running an electronic dance music record label and we kind of turned to the commercial production house at the time that had set, decided to take a chance on us and build our careers and say, you know what? We're 25, we'd rather travel the world with a record label than do this. And we just kind of made a left turn and we were working on our own scripts and developing our own stuff and running this record label. Jump five years later, Napster and all the rest comes flying in. And of course, all the guys who were in this electronic record label were the first ones to adopt electronic technology and get rid of vinyl. So we went from printing, you know, thousands of units of an EP and making money and kind of having a little warehouse office and living this true entrepreneurial artistic life at the age of, you know, between 25 and 30 to suddenly go on, well, we're kind of in debt and we're broke and the industry's changed on us. And, you know, we managed to get out and get out free of scars. But the, the lesson at first was, or the feeling at first was that we failed. But what was interesting was that the angel investors that got behind us, who were international guys, they had businesses in the States, businesses in Europe, were very different than the kind of conservative business person that you find in Canada typically. The first thing they said to us, like, okay, you failed. So what are you going to do tomorrow? And that was kind of an awakening. It was like, Failure was part of the process. It wasn't um, something that you then quit from. You go, what did I learn and how do you move forward? Yes. And so we took that and my business partner at the time, uh, he's a very successful writer and is traveling the world and is, his beat is South Africa right now and he's doing crazy stuff. And I've managed to build a career doing what I initially wanted to do, which was work in film. And the lesson from that, though we didn't have the successes that we wanted to have necessarily, the lesson was that, you know, it's just a hurdle. And yeah. so, you know, segue to Urban Outlaw is one of those pieces that's kind of, you know, fundamental in, you know, defining my place in the car culture lexicon. 
Lexicon. That was a situation where, you know, I'd been working on commercial work, doing car stuff, but I felt, and I still feel to a large degree, a lot of these car commercials that we all watch, you go, well, I could just change the badge, change the color of the sheet metal. How is that unique to that car? Mm -hmm. It's the same techniques. And a lot of commercial directors are forced into that. I'm not suggesting that I'm not as well, where we use the same tools and the client wants the shiny three-quarter beautiful hold on the sheet metal shot yeah but the reality was as a car guy as someone who you know i'm not a tuner and a tweaker i'm a guy who loves design i love the purpose-built automotive i like the idea of having this track ready streetable car i like the history of racing and the courage and all the rest i'll admit i'm not going to get into the car and start tearing apart the engine but i didn't feel like there was something out there that was speaking to the visceral driving experience that got me excited. But there was a lot of old films from the 60s and 70s where even the chase sequence in The French Connection where it was just like, this is out of control. They just stuck a camera onto a car and ripped through the streets. They didn't even close them <laughs> off. Yeah. Right? It was like it felt tactile and visceral and it didn't feel kind of so overproduced. And so I, I just said, okay, well, the biggest failure would be I go down to L.A., Magnus says, yes, I shoot it, I come back, and there's nothing in the footage. And so I've lost some money. Well, it was a calculated risk. I, I'm not one to go to the casino and drop 50 grand. You know, and people think Magnus hired me to do it. I literally just said, okay, here's a budget. I could go buy a car and have a toy, or I could go do this and put my money where my mouth is. And so I, that's what I did. And cool. I took a gamble. And, you know, the gamble has paid off. I mean, the PlayStation film was a result of it. The relationship I have with Porsche is a result of it. And the relationship Magnus has and what it's done for him and what it's done, you know, just our friendship. It's all come from taking that risk and throwing the Hail Mary. I mean, it was just four days. What could have happened, right? Yeah. I, You know, I love this story in so many ways, but those darn distractors come along and they change all our plans. And so many times people and businesses get comfortable and they just stay where they are and they think everything's going to stay this way and they don't look and reach out there and take that gamble, take that risk. I love the fact that those backers of yours said, okay, you failed. What's next? What's tomorrow? It, it obviously opened your eyes. So many of us look at failure and go, that's the end. No, it's just a hurdle to get passed around or over or bust your way through. I love the whole concept of what you've shared with us here. It's so important for people to hear. And there are going to always be disruptors. You look at Airbnb, Uber. Uber wiped out the taxi industry. And Airbnb is certainly making a hit on the hotel industry, motel industry. And there's going to be a lot more. There's so many opportunities now. So let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a career aha moment. I would assume you've had many. You kind of touched on some there, but tell us the steps you took to take your aha moment into a successful direction. You know, I I think the the aha moment for me or the takeaway was that, you know, I knew that I had to define a voice and I had to commit to that voice and not be pushed off of it. And maybe part of the ability to do that is that the successes that I had, say, on an international level came later. If I had the successes at 24, 25 when we were running that record label, I don't know if they would have resonated as well. And I think the aha moment is that, and again, I go back to your, your years in the advertising industry, that experience is, 
you know, knowing when to say yes to an opportunity and when that opportunity that's presented to you, though it's a free meal, let's say, isn't a very good meal. <laughs> and so I think the aha moment for me was when I was able to realize that, you know, if I turn something down, it doesn't mean that it's the career is over. I'm not desperate because there is a period and when you work in the applied arts, if you're a photographer, if you're a songwriter, if you're a filmmaker and you're doing it on someone else's money that you feel like, well, if I don't say yes, then the word's going to get out there that uh, that opportunity isn't going to come again. Right. And so when you realize that, no, you've defined your work, you have a body of work that represents you and you stay true to it and you're not in pursuit of money, but you're in pursuit of a certain quality of work because I've never been in the pursuit of money. I could have been much wealthier. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're pursuing passion, man. <laughs> exactly. And so if you're pursuing passion, then you have to stay honest to it. And I try to surround myself with people who are like that. Like I have an editor I will collaborate with a lot and we've managed, you know, he cut Urban Outlaw and he cut the Cavs piece and, you know, we did a spot that's done really well internationally in award show and, you know, his name's Paul Prue and we, we go back years, but we've both been driven by the work and the interesting thing about you know a guy like magnus is he's also not driven by the money he's driven by the passion for cars david Beatty, he's got a business to run and employees and all that but he is driven by the business and so i gravitate towards these people who are like-minded in different fields even kazanori who's had an enormous amount of success and i mean playstation can count on half their industry and business on the success of what he's done for them with his game mm -hmm. is a guy who's purely driven by passion. Yeah. Right? So yeah. How can I push it further? And so when you're surrounded by those people, it drives you. And I think that, you know, if anything, an aha moment for me is keep yourself surrounded by people that inspire you, young or old. Like I'm not an ageist. I don't care if they're 25 or if they're 75. If, you know, I have, I have the time to listen. They have an interesting story and and inspired by them. You know, some some more great bombs there you're dropping for us. Uh, we are the culmination of the people we surround ourselves with, and it's so important to surround ourselves with the right people. Those are great lessons my parents taught me from an early time of pick your friends wisely. But the other thing you said really resonated with me is, is it's okay to say no. Uh, early in my career, the day I fired one of our biggest clients because they were just so abusive and beyond a challenge to work with and just became no fun anymore. Not that work has to be fun all the time, but uh, that was one of the most enlightening days of my life was to be able to walk in and say, we're not the right fit for you. You need to go find somebody else to do your work. And uh, I think that I went surfing that all that afternoon afterwards. It was one of the best surf sessions I ever had, the, the feeling of freedom. So very well said. How about proudest? career moments. I would assume you've had many because you create things that you can sit back and look at and go, whoa, wow, that's pretty cool because you know everything that went into them. But what is uh, one of your proudest career moments? Would you share that with us? Well, I, I think that one of those moments is that when you, to what you're saying, like, yeah, I create stuff and I know what goes in it, but very, very much I like to uh, check my age at the door when I'm watching anything and kind of like let it pass over you. And I think one of those moments is, you know, I I think it was maybe a year and a half after Urban Outlaw came out that I rewatched it, or a year after Kaz came out that I rewatched it. And when you rewatch these things and you forget about what went into it and you just watch it, and it's almost because you, you've given it 
to the public, right? So it's not yours anymore. You, mm -hmm. Once it's out there. So when you rewatch it as the public and, and it entertains you and you go, oh, yeah, this was pretty good. Right? Like, <laughs> yes. That, that's, that's a nice moment. And like, you know, it's not like you're getting a lot of phone calls and handshakes and all the rest. So when you can get that moment from your own work and you go, yeah, this is good. I'm going to keep doing it. That's a great feeling. And in parallel to that, like I, ironically, we're talking, you know, cars and people and all the rest, but I, I got this note in the mail and it's fantastic. It's this handmade little flyer that this kid who's maybe 15 printed up and it's his street name and it's his, it's Lavina Avenue car show. Hope to see you there. And he's got it set up on June 4th from four to 6 PM. And basically he's put this flyer and he put it in my mailbox with a personal note and said, Hey, I'm Jack. You probably don't remember me. A group of friends of mine and I were walking past your house and we saw your car. And so we came over and talked to you. We didn't realize you did urban outlaw. You know, you spent some time and talked with us. And I was wondering if you could bring your car to our car show and show it off. I'd appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. And that moment of just sitting with these like 15 year old kids and just literally just talking about the car and yeah. them saying they want to be in the automotive industry or they want to be in this and want to be in that. And, just thinking back to like, if someone had spent 15 minutes with me when I was that age, what would that have done? So I took the time to talk to them and then took a photo. They were all holding Urban Outlaw flyers because I had some stickers, whatever, sent it to Magnus. Magnus texted back, gave him like, you know, the high five. They were like kids in a candy store. And it's oh, like, yeah. you know, to me, it's like, well, that's it, right? It's like, just pass it on. That's a nice moment to pass that on to the next generation of car people. Yes. It's, it's so, so important. I've taken my son to so many Concours events and car shows. I can't tell you how many people were nice enough to pick him up and put him down in their car and the impressions that that made in, you know, for him and the chance to talk with people that an adult took time to talk to me is so important. And I think a lot of the car industry, that's what they do. You know, we share our passion. That's part of what car people are. Yeah. And so in the context of like a nice moment or a proud moment, it's like, that's a nice moment. Well, let's talk a little bit about cars. I'd love for you to share your first really special car with us and maybe a memory you have with that vehicle. Well, it's two-tiered. So I would say that everybody has their first car. So my first car was a 1979 Malibu Classic with you know the V8 and a rust hole over the trunk that was so big that the exhaust would go in and you had to drive with the windows open in the middle of winter. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right? <laughs> yeah. But that was my car, right? Yeah. I was oh, 16, yeah. And that was freedom, right? Yeah. So that, that car will always have fond memories. But I guess the first real car was in pursuit of that 2002. I picked up a 2000 Ti Lux with European lights, and one of the cylinders was crapped out and i was going to restore this motor and i realized very early on that both time and aptitude weren't there and i didn't you know i thought maybe my dad and i would do it and it wasn't the opportunity and the timing wasn't right so i flipped the car and i ended up in an e30 ah okay and and that 1991 e30 with the euro bumpers and like super clean lines that became the car that was my car for over a decade it didn't matter what other cars came into my life like i got an e28 sold it the e30 was irreplaceable and so for me that was the car my wife and i traveled all over once we got you know together and then got married dog in the back seat we'd go <laughs> camping cottages you name it kids were born kids were in it kids loved the little car it was their you know favorite car because it had big windows and lots of glass and it was easy to see out so that that was kind of like the 
first decade of our family, that car was fundamental. But, you know, my dad passed away. He had a car, which was a newer BMW. My wife had a station wagon. And then I'd gotten into the 911 I have now. And I kind of was like, I can't have so many cars. I live in downtown Toronto and I don't have parking for it. So I sold that E30 to a good friend of ours. And she wanted just a fun weekend car. And she'd always loved it. So yeah. It's kind of still in the family. Every time it needs help, she comes to me. <laughs> so I still get to get my hands dirty and help her out with it. And, you know, we've gotten whatever rust was on it taken out and painted up. And that's her little gem, but it's still in the family and I still get to see it all the time. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Is that the car that got away for you, the seller's remorse car? Yeah, I mean, I told her, like, if, if everything, if anything ever came up and she needed to get rid of the car, I would buy it and turn it into a, a kind of rally car, right? <laughs> I would totally drop it, put proper suspension in it, put a roll bar in and turn it into some kind of track or rally car and just have it as the counterpart to the 911. Yeah, there you go. We have a big uh, group of E30 Pro Series racers up here in the Pacific Northwest. It's such a, a- Really wonderful group of people that race those cars. And, and the E30 groups here, we have an annual E30 picnic that's just super well attended. So, yeah, there's a lot of passion behind that model. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow and this year, what you're doing. What are you up to right now that really has you excited and fired up? Uh, you know, I've got a couple of uh, commercial spots that are a little bit different that are car-based. Obviously, with NDAs and all that, I can't go into any detail. Sure. But whenever you get a script on your table that sends you to a racetrack you haven't been to and gives you some pro drivers and all the toys you can imagine and they want you to just do what you do it's always exciting so and then on a completely different side i just finished uh writing a feature-length script that i'm pretty excited of trying to get some partners behind and shop it around and get it out there and see if we can do something with it so always trying to push the creative envelope in different directions and keep the juices flowing that way absolutely very important well, here's a very introspective question that will get those creative juices flowing, I hope. If you were a car, Tamir, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, I think that uh, I'd have to go with the 911 only because that's the car I've gravitated towards in the last decade mm-hmm. and have kind of poured myself into. And then it was through kind of discovering with my first 911, which was a 95 Targa that then I moved into a 993. And then from there, I've now moved into this 74 that I've hot rotted out. I mean, it just kind of, it awoke something. And then that's what led to Urban Outlaw and then kind of defined career path and so on. But for me, the 911, there's something, it's obviously slightly off engine in the back. So it's kind of out of the norm, out of conformity, but yet it's got all these beautiful flowing lines and everything about it just feels right and fits right. So even though it kind of goes against the current a bit, so you're not the banker, the lawyer, the doctor, you're doing something a little bit against the current. It <laughs> yeah. still works perfectly. So for me, that combined with the like, it's a streetable car. I, I, t- I use it as a daily driver. But it's also my track car. There's something about it that's just kind of like the perfect pair of uh, running shoes. Yeah, yeah, I love it. On my 300th show, my son Blake interviewed me. Talk a bit about how Carjack came about. And that's how I answered that question too. I'm a 911 as well. So you're in some good company. I've had many other guests who have answered the same way. I love it. So Tamir, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Carjack sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. 
What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Tamir, we're back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Absolutely. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, it's two-tiered. One would be if you're going to restore an old 911, make sure you have the budget for two 911s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, you know, the second part to that would be don't be afraid to get in there. I say I'm not going to tear engines apart, do this, that, the other. But there has been work that I have done with the gearbox and all the rest. It's like at a certain point, if you do break it, you could take it to a professional and they could fix it. So don't be afraid to get your hands dirty and learn something. There you go. I love it. Now, how about a personal habit? Is there something that you do that has contributed to your success? Uh, it's completely left field, but I've been training and studying in martial arts for years, and I still do it on a regular basis. And I find that that ability to be completely focused and clear your mind and be in the now has helped me when other people are super stressed out on a film set or things are complicated in your own personal life at home with kids, and family, aging parents, you're kind of in the nuclear center of it all. Mm-hmm. That kind of ability to be grounded and you know keep learning and pushing yourself is equally important as anything else for me brilliant i love it now how about a resource is there one out there you think the cars out listeners would really enjoy i'm a huge fan of instagram and following what people are doing yeah in that world but you know uh, it's hard for me to say because i don't know like you know what people are looking for. If it was from a mechanical standpoint, I think there's amazing forums. It was from an artistic standpoint. I think that there's some interesting guys doing some great stuff and a great place to look for it is through Instagram and they'll lead you, whether it's, you know, Petrolicious or Rod Emery and what he's doing or Magnus or 
even David Beatty and his posts, like you just, there's an exposure through Instagram to, to being a part of it and a community that gets created. So that would be my go-to. There you go. I love it as well. I'll remind our listeners that uh, I do have an Instagram account here at Cars Yeah, so I ask you to uh, follow it, and I'm sure Tamir does as well. It'll be listed on his show notes page to uh, check out what he's up to there as well. How about a book? Is there a book that you've read recently you think our listeners should crack open and read? Well, I'll be a little more uh, specific. There's a book, maybe you yourself have read it, and if you haven't, I suggest you do. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people who come to me and they ask, you know, well, if I want to do movies or films or little videos about cars, what should I do? And I kind of explain to them that, like, it's the shooting the cars part is the easy part. It's like, you know, showing a lure to a fish. Like, as men, we tend to be super excited by the sheet metal and the noise and (laughs) all the rest. But it does fall flat after a while. You can only sustain that for so long. And I think that what I've always tried to do is tell the story of the people behind it. And so I think one of the best resources for anybody who is interested in getting in it and kind of finding a voice and doing these kind of stories is to read the book, The Art of the Interview. And it's a uh, fantastic book that kind of follows a journalist's process of how from Rolling Stone to Playboy to you know, New York, New York Times, how he's crafted the art of listening to people and interviewing. And so that would be my recommend if you want to get into storytelling. Is that uh, Lawrence Grobel's book? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, great book. Yeah, very nice. Well, listeners, you can find all these great resources, including this book on Tamir's very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash Tamir Moscovich. And Tamir spells his name T-A-M-I-R. His last name is M-O-S. C-O-V-I-C-I. There's another great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the past books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, Tamir, we are up to the checkered flag. This is where it gets fun. This last question, though, can be a bit of a doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price, I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that vehicle be? And more importantly, why? You know, I'm going I'm to be a little uh, <laughs> cheeky about this one and just go, I have been fortunate enough to build that car and have it. And that car is a 1974 911 that I kind of worked with Brent Hunter at Hunter Motorsports here in Toronto to do an RS replica 2.7 motor. And everything about that car has kind of been over my let's say 42 years of life but if my my career of following and building and working with cars this became the car that was the dream car i had an accident on the track with my 993 and managed to get paid out and insurance money came in and it got appraised so i then had this pocket of money to work with Mm -hmm. and brent said well the car you really want is uh, older car and he had this 74 available to him and you know I always wanted the long hood and he said don't worry about the long hood it's just as light let's make it your own yeah. and we did we did the entire interior we did the exterior we did suspension bigger brakes the motor all of it and as much as I like a Singer car or a Magnus Walker car or a Rod Emery car and that would really be the first in line, would be one of Emery's cars if I yeah. could do it. But I'm super content with the car I have. I don't need a million-dollar car. Like yeah. This little 911 is all I want. And fortunately, 
also finally have that 914 that is living in California as my LA car when I'm there on business and it's at Magnus's garage and <laughs> that'll be the next project, right? Well, I'm really happy in a couple of respects here. One is people that answer that question the way you did, you already have it, are really fortunate people. The other one, of course, is that means I don't have to buy you a car today, so you've saved me a few bucks, especially considering today's guest was a 250 short wheelbase Ferrari. So that one kind of took a big chunk out of my paycheck uh, or my bank account, I should say. However, I really love that you've done it. My first Porsche 911 was a 74 911S. I'd wanted one forever. Uh, I finally got it. It was so exciting for me. But the fact that you built a RS tribute car, as I like to call them, really fantastic. And I'd love to uh, love to see that car someday, maybe take a ride in it. That'd be pretty cool. And I'm glad you got a 914. I had a 914, a 2.0 for a while. Really fun little car. Of course, I always wanted that 911 engine in it because I wanted to go faster. But uh, very yeah. nice. Congratulations for that. Well, Tamir, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would. I've really enjoyed hearing about your stories and what you're doing. You're definitely having fun in the automotive genre and the field that you're so passionate about. And you're doing a great job, of course. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yacht listeners. Could you offer us a parting piece of guidance before you rip off down the highway in that 74 RS? It's just... Follow your passion, and uh, it doesn't have to be a career-changing thing. I just think that life's short, and we should uh, try to live it as passionately as possible, even if it's a hobby, right? Yes. It doesn't, so yeah. that would be it. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing? I guess the easiest way would be to either uh, go to Instagram, and my Instagram handle is just Tamir Moscovich, or go to my website, which is tamirmoscovich.com, and it's T-A-M-I-R. M-O-S-C-O-V-I-C-I dot com. And, you know, I'm pretty accessible. So I'm always open to someone firing an email or, you know, sending a link through a posting. It's part of what I love about Instagram and these social media platforms is we can make a community around the world and meet people and uh, make the world a little smaller. Absolutely. Or put a flyer in his mailbox and say, hey, bring your car to our show. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything on Tamir's show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Tamir, as he said, T-A-M-I-R. In that search bar, you'll find links to his website. Check out his Instagram account. Follow him. See what he's up to. I think you'll have a lot of fun there. Tamir, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thanks a lot for having me on the show, and uh, I'm going to keep listening. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.